And we're back with yet another episode of Curiously Polar, the show about all things very north and very south. I'm Chris Marquardt and with me is Henry Paul. Hey, Henry. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm, uh, it's a nice crispy morning, even though, even though we're still pre-recording this one. We're not. Well, well kind of we are. Because <laughs> you kind of are still on a ship somewhere. <laughs> I think, I think if uh, if my prediction skills don't fail me, you are somewhere in the Antarctic right now. Indeed. Where where exactly would you be at this point? Where this is this episode releases early February. Yeah, I will be probably on land, um, spending seven days off somewhere in the remote countryside on a cabin. <laughs> okay, so so this is a this is a bit of a vacation for you between uh, between expeditions. Yeah, I have two months on, one week off, two months on. Oh, what a schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Oh, well, uh, so yeah, that's that's why we are doing a, some pre-production. So you out there will get your regular episodes. And um, Henry, I appreciate you doing this because it is a lot of work. But it's lovely work. <sighs> I, yeah, I love, love doing it. I wouldn't do it any other way. Um, so you are... Um, somewhere around ice and you brought us an episode about of course of, about ice because you love ice and uh, I love ice in all types and flavors <laughs> it's really not, not just ice cream but actual ice <laughs> frozen water um, so yeah the, the title of this episode is a sheer incredible piece of ice what which piece of ice is it about and what is so incredible about it uh, it's about of course, the ice in Antarctica. And why is it incredible? It's just <laughs> the sheer numbers of it. It's a place of of uh, superlatives where I have only one of two polar ice caps um, of Earth, and it covers ninety eight percent of the Antarctic continent. It spans over forty million square kilometers, contains roughly twenty six point five million cubic kilometers of ice. Just to give you an idea, a cubic kilometer of ice weighs approximately one metric gigaton, meaning that the whole ice sheet weighs about 26.5 million gigatons. That's just something we can't really comprehend. It's the largest single ice mass uh, of ice on Earth. It's um, it's uh, encapsulating approximately 61% of all fresh water on Earth, which is an equivalent of roughly 58 meters of sea level rise. If it would got released into the oceans. How, wait, wait, wait. How many meters? 58. 58 meters of sea level rise, which would pretty much obliterate all coasts on this planet and people Indeed, yeah. there would have to move very far inland. Oh my God, okay. Yeah, but this is just like, scientists love to put things into numbers and to calculate things, but it's very unlikely that this ice would um, just disappear overnight. And if we have a melting process in Antarctica, that of course triggers also the isostatic rebound. So the crust will just um, lift up because the the weight of the ice, those 26.5 million gigatons of, of weight, will just be released. So um, in, the, in the same uh, way that the sea level rises, also this area of the, of the Earth would just be lifted up. But not, not as much as the water would rise. Well, we can see similar effects in Greenland, in, in Iceland, in uh, northern Scandinavia, in England. And um, 
in, in Iceland, for example, and in Greenland, we can see that the isostatic rebound is actually um, bigger than the sea level rise recently. So, in fact, Greenland is rising out of the ocean, even though the sea level is rising already. So, so how does that ha how does that work? Is that uh, the the amount of water, the weight of the water pressing down on the sea floor, and that pushes up the land? So, in in fact, we have um, we have to imagine the crust of Earth as a flexible thing. Um, we always think that our we back have tectonic we plates on, that move. I know that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But we still think that uh, those plates are solid bedrock, and that's really strong, hard, tough material. But in fact, it's quite flexible. So I always use when I talk to our school groups and explain the crust, um, the features of the crust. I use the um, example of a football. Just imagine a football, and you press your you press your thumb into that football, and you have a dent, and that's the ice sheet. And um, we put more pressure on it than the water of the oceans already do. So you have a dent, and around the dent you have a little wulse, which is a little higher than the rest of uh, the skin of the football. When you now take the thump out, the skin of the football will just bounce back, and that's the isostatic rebound. So for a period of time, which in, in that example, if you just take your thumb off, it just snaps and um, then the football looks uh, round-shaped normal again. Um, in a geological timescale, that would just take millions of years. Um, just imagine the, the ice sheet in, uh, in, in northern Europe and England has gone for 15,000 years, roughly, and you still see the effects of the isostatic rebound in uh, England. So um, there is a big time scale connected to that. But in fact, yes, the weight of the ice pushes down the crust. And if the ice um, gets released or melts, then the weight is um, is uh, lifted. And then the, the whole crust bounces a little bit back. Uh, I've just opened the Wikipedia page on that. It's also called the post-glacial rebound. So when glaciers Indeed, yes. go away, you lift the pressure and stuff uh, moves. Um, I think we li we'll link to that in the show notes for sure. In in Iceland, you can actually see that um, because of the situation of the glaciers, we have uh, a much bigger lift in the southeast where we have the big glacier, which is uh, melting in an outstanding rate. But on the northwest, we don't see that um, lift. We mm -hmm. uh, see basically that Iceland got lifted out on one side. And I always make this uh, joke on trips through Iceland. In a few thousand years, Iceland might be upside down. <laughs> interesting, interesting thought. So um, back to the sheer incredible piece of ice. Um, so this sounds like the Antarctic is covered by like this one big amazing chunk. Which it isn't, but it does, it, it does sound in the first place. But scientists are very good in identifying separations. And um, what we see here, the continent is divided by one of the world's largest mountain ranges, and that's the Transantarctic Mountains. And they are dividing the ice sheet into two large or still large ice sheet, the East Antarctic ice sheet and the West Antarctic ice sheet. Um, the East Antarctic ice sheet rests on a major landmass, so it's basically sitting on a continent, while in the West Antarctic, the bed of the ice sheet extends more than 2,500 meters below sea level. So we are talking here about a marine-based ice sheet, and that makes it much more vulnerable for... Um, attacks from from uh, warming climate in several 
uh, ways. So we we have the we have the continental ice. We have the ice sheet that kind of floats on the water. What's the main difference between those? So we we have a continental ice uh, that sits on a landmass, and we have the marine-based ice. The marine-based um, ice sheet um, extends not only below sea level, so it basically means it fills out an area which lays um, below sea level. So if that ice would just disappear, the ocean would just take it, um, you know, take that area and would just flood it. It would create new fjords, new sounds, new straits. Um, we have ice um, shelves floating on that. So when we have big glacial tongues coming down from those ice sheets and they're reaching actually um, the water, the ocean front, then uh, the glacier starts floating. It loses at some point um, the connection to the underlying bedrock and starts floating. And that floating um, ice tongue is an extension of the continent's ice mass. And right now we have the largest ice shelf uh, in Western Arctica. It's called uh, the Ross Ice Shelf. That's around 510,000 square kilometers in size. It's the largest one ever been discovered. And um, we have here a huge amount of ice um, that gets released into the water. As soon as the shelf is in the water, it doesn't affect the um, sea level anymore. So when we... Because it floats. Exactly. When we hear those big stories of uh, break off of an iceberg from an ice shelf, and uh, people uh, say, wow, that adds a lot of something to the water. No, it already floats in the water. It's like an ice cube in your glass of water. It already floats in there. So when it melts, it doesn't change the water level at all. Same goes here. So the, the effect happens much earlier. When the ice from the glacier pushes down into the ocean, that's when the sea level is affected. When it breaks off from the ice shelf, it's not. It's so already in the water. So this is an incredible size, an incredible mass of ice uh, on land and also on in the in the ice shelf or different ice shelves, I guess. Um, do we have an idea about how what percentage of that gets falls in the water every year? Is there there must be measurements about that? There are probably measurements, but you I'm don't have them. Sure. Okay, sorry for I'm, putting I, you on the spot. No, it's, no, it's, it's all right. Um, <laughs> We we have um, well we have observed in the past years and centuries um, how the especially the, the the Western Arctic ice sheet changes. So you have um, the most vulnerable spots of the ice sheet are those ice shelves because they're already floating in the water. So that means that the the warming ocean attacks them um, much much quicker than the warming temperature could affect the ice sheet on land because the land mass of course insulates the ice from underneath from the bedrock as well so you have um, a different um process going on there so when we see the ice shelves how vulnerable they are we just put a a, a little look onto the larsen uh, ice shelf on the east side of the antarctic peninsula and that has disintegrated um over the, the past um years, the past centuries. I mean, in, in 1995 and in 2002, the Larsen B and C ice shells just completely disappeared. They just completely broke off into uh, numerous icebergs and um, they're just not existing anymore. We have just um, one piece left um, of the Larsen ice shelf 
And we see similar things going on also on the west side of the Antarctic Peninsula. We have a couple of ice shelves there, Wilkins and uh, George the uh, Sixth Sound. And um, even worse, in the Amundsen Sea. So the Amundsen Sea is the place where the biggest change uh, is happening because we have the fastest glowing, uh, flowing glaciers um, draining into the Amundsen Sea. And we're talking about the Pine Island Glacier and the Thwaites Glacier. And I would really love to put a spot on those glaciers in a separate episode because that's really something um, intriguing here. But um, when we look at the ice and also the change of the ice, then we also have to keep in mind the age of the ice. And um, when we trust the research of the scientists, um, we can say that the icing in Antarctica began around 45.5 million years ago. So roughly 45 million years ago. That's a a long, long time ago. And in the past 45 million years, climate has undergone a huge shift. So the the icing started, of course, that was not at large and that big. It escalated around 34 million years ago. So it grew much, much bigger with a huge extinction event. But the CO2 levels back then, they were about 760 um, ppm. And they actually have decreased from earlier levels around 1,000 ppm. Just to compare that, today we have 410 ppm. And and it's uh, on the rise. It's on the rise, indeed. But has been much, much higher already in that time. So uh, Earth climate has been much, much warmer. But then we also have to understand that we are currently are in an interglacial period of an ice age. And that's something that climate deniers always um, forget. They always say, yeah, there have been periods in the world, uh, in, in, in Earth climate, when it has been much warmer and much more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Yes, that's true. But that was a warm period. That was between um, ice ages. And we are currently in an ice age. How is an ice age defined? Ice age is defined if the polar regions... Um, contain a considerable ice cover. And we have that ice cover in that sheer um, incredible piece of ice in Antarctica. And we have another amazing piece of ice in the north, in Greenland, the sea ice on the Arctic Ocean as well. So we are in an ice age, which has an interglacial period. So we have kind of of an up and down in uh, in the time of an ice age, when uh, it's getting colder, then the glaciation just extends. So the glaciers are just extending further south when they're coming from the north and further north when they're coming from the south. So they're going into um, uh, higher uh, latitudes, but uh, uh, lower latitudes, sorry. Um, but currently we are actually in that interglacial period. So the, the glacial um, yeah, the glacial extent is on a, on a minimum, you can say. And at the same time, we are reaching carbon dioxide levels, which are not normal for that type of climate, for the ice age, for interglacial period of an ice age. The carbon dioxide decrease in, uh, in historic times, that's meant to be the primary agent that forced the glaciation in Antarctica. And the tipping point has been named at around 600 ppm in uh, uh, scientific uh, literature. So we are coming from 1,000 
of ppms of uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere pieces per million it went down and 600 pieces per million has been um named the tipping point of the glaciation so that's actually where um the glaciation of antarctica accelerated and just grew this huge piece of ice so when we are looking at the current uh, current development in our uh, carbon dioxide levels then we are getting closer to that tipping point from the other side so we are actually um, adding so much carbon dioxide um, into the atmosphere that we might lose a significant part of the Antarctic ice sheet with only 190 um, pieces per million more than we have actually today. <sighs> okay, so... <laughs> let's, let's try to end this on a positive note, though. <laughs> there is a, there's a, a, a lot of things. It's not only the carbon yeah. dioxide level in the know, atmosphere that... Um, uh, that paid into that account. It's also the tectonics have changed tremendously. So Antarctica used to be connected to that big um, supercontinent Gondwana. Yeah, it's, and its own thing now. Exactly. And when when those plates are started drifting away from each other, um, the southern continent got kind of isolated. And the opening of the Drake Passage, the connection between South America and, and Antarctica, that opened the Antarctic Circumpolar Current. And that current actually started circulating around that now isolated landmass that also has um, separated the warmer ocean currents coming from the uh, Earth oceans from the circumpolar current that went around Antarctica. That cooled down the uh, continent as well, and that, of course, ties into, um, into that glaciational period as well. So we have a lot of stunning things that happened here together. So what I what I learned is Antarctica yet again is a is a place of superlatives. Um, the system is very complex, so it's, there's never an easy answer. And uh, yeah, the biggest ice cube in the world for well <laughs> for an even bigger for a drink, big glass of <laughs> exactly of whiskey. <laughs> All right, um, yeah, let's wrap it, wrap it up here. Um, a sheer incredible piece of ice, episode eighty six of. Curiously Polar, of course, you can find us wherever you find your other podcasts. So if you just stumbled upon our website, curiouslypolar.com, there are plenty other episodes about all sorts of topics. Um, I officially suggest that we do uh, an entire icebergs episode because uh, I just realized oh, that yeah, sure. ice icebergs are uh, also a very interesting topic that I do not know enough about. Um, so that will definitely be sometime in the hopefully near future. Um, you can find us on Twitter if you want to interact at Curiously Polar and also on Instagram at Curiously Polar. We'll be back here in a week from now and uh, looking forward to telling you something interesting again. Until then, take care. Take care.